Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 243. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to talk about using long guns at night, doing some home defense kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we'll just go from there. Cool. Um, guys, we started off, uh, most of us hadn't run long guns, I think hot anyway, with live ammo um, for, for a significant period of time. Uh, for us, we probably allocate 80% plus of our training time to defensive handgun. This uh, year was probably closer to like 90 or 95 yeah, yeah, and this year was a little bit odd, so we even went beyond that. Um, but, I mean, because you know, we carry handguns all the time. That's what's on us. We have, we're all concealed carry guys um, and, and generally get up in the morning and put a pistol on and don't take it off until we go to bed kind of mentality. Um, but we like to get into long guns a couple times a year just to kind of do the refresher, uh, get the manual of arms back down, find the sights, mount the gun. Um, do some of those things that require a little bit of consistency that if you're, you know, you can dry fire all this stuff just like with the handgun. Uh, but this was an opportunity to get out and kind of get out whatever it is you're going to use for home defense. And we just started off with just some simple up drills. Uh, you know, probably ran through a mag or something like that, half a mag, whatever, yeah. of up drills. Just getting the gun up and getting it on target smoothly. Um, but like you mean it, like you're in a hurry kind of thing and just trying to get that upper A zone um, hit and right off the rip, you know, have some guys running some guns they're not used to shooting with significant amounts of height over bore. Um, sight height over bore is significant on some of the guns. Most of us were running PCC type guns, pistol caliber carbine type guns. Um, you and I both were running Scorpions. I think we had an, was it an MPX? Yeah, an MPX mm -hmm. and a BNT. Yeah, and a BNT. Um, you know, had some significant height over bore conversations going on and kind of had to you know, talk through that that reminder of, hey, you've got a lot of offset and we're up relatively close. We were probably less than 20 yards, 15 yards, something like that. Yep. Um, and, as, and so, and again, this is, you know, these are all guys who shoot quite a bit, but not necessarily that weapon system. Um, so that kind of reminder that, hey, if you're hitting, if you're looking at a USPSA non-metric target, a standard USPSA target, you have an A zone that's five by 12. Something like that. Something like yeah. that. Uh, and the A's printed kind of maybe biased a little bit toward the top. It's not right in the center of the zone. Yeah, the A's is like at about the two-thirds. Two yeah, so it's about five-ish inches. Yeah. Um, so you really want to be hitting above the A. It gives you a nice five-by-five five that, uh, if you look at human anatomy, puts bullets in a place where it's most likely to do hydraulic harm um, and maybe, hopefully, some neural harm as well. Um, and, and get and get the bad guy to react. I mean, that's what we want is we're not, you know, I'm not out here to kill people. What I'm out here to do is stop whatever from aggressing or, or harming or whatever, modifying behavior of bad guys. Um, and But that's where you want bullets to go to do that effectively and have some guys struggling, you know, right off the bat, you know, with, hey, oh, that's right. There's a lot of sight offset. I'm up close, blah, 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 blah. All those different things, you know, right off the bat popped up. And that's that reminder of, you know, what are we doing on a regular basis even if you're dry firing the gun or you dry firing the gun well to get the sights up high yeah. enough to do what they're supposed to do. And in this particular case, um, at 15 yards with the offset that's one of the guys was experiencing, you're kind of almost holding at the base of the head of the target or the, or the shoulders, that line, maybe just a scotch below that to hit that upper A zone. Um, and I would say that you're better off cheating toward the top end of that upper A zone um, even beyond that, so that yeah. got the rounds. So it's just a, you know one of those like teachable moments, like oh hey, that's right, this does this. It's different than a handgun, which yeah. is so close to bore axis, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, even then, um, this particular shooter does a lot of competition shooting, and his general mo 
is yeah. to aim you know center mass of the target or center mass center of the a zone yeah uh, because from a competition standpoint it does give him a little bit more flexibility from a scoring perspective true um yeah but when we start talking about again start talking about defensive shooting that upper a zone is really critical to put be able to put rounds there on demand absolutely and and that's something that you know that most competent shooters shouldn't have an issue putting stuff into a five by five you know out there about 25 yards it really shouldn't be that big a deal pretty much on demand relatively quickly etc um but again when you're touching a weapon system that you haven't had out in a while especially if you don't dry fire with it um and and i think in in this case for most of us the long gun is truly is actually our secondary it's not our primary gun we carry a handgun around all the time and the long gun is maybe something you know you have socked away ready to go or maybe not even that i mean some of these guys um, they still use the handgun for home defense because that's what they compete with. That's what they're comfortable with. Um, and so whatever, you know, whatever works for you. I personally like the idea of the capacity of a long gun, the controllability of a long gun, and then with proper ammo selection, right caliber selection, the lethality of a long gun, the effectiveness of a long gun, the ability yeah. to put kinetic effect on target. Um, it's kind of a big deal. So yeah, it's just got kind of relearning, you know, the, the reminders and whatnot. Um, there was funny because the comment came up that, um, you know, he, he was laughing like, oh, crap, that's right. It's a shoot someplace a little bit different. And I'm used to just kind of blazing away at the center of that A. Yeah. As long as I'm in the A in, in a match, I need to be moving fast and be in the A. And that's all I'm worried about. Um, you know, we kind of chuckled about that. And then he, he made the comment. He's like, I don't even know what my zero is. I think I might have like a 50-yard zero, but I'm not even sure. And that brought me around to one of the things I started nerding out with. Uh, one of the guys that, that works with us here is really good about keeping uh, a DACA pouch, a Magpul DACA pouch in his case with dope information on whatever gun it is. And you kind of laugh at dope information on a PCC, but what distance is it zeroed with, uh, with what round and maybe what temperature, what, what were the conditions? Because yeah. it was really cold or really hot. You might see a differential. Um, and maybe that's at a distance that you're not super concerned about, but the reality is a PCC it may not be the ultimate 200 meter gun, but I can tell you that if I had a PCC in my hands with a dot optic on it and a 30 round mag, and you're within 200 yards of me and you're a threat, that's pretty hard to articulate, but should it actually happen at some point, um, I, I think I could make you not want to be there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think back to a couple summers ago, we were shooting PCCs out to 300. Mm -hmm. uh, with yes. Pretty good effect on target. Absolutely, yeah, well, with hits, I and mean, with hits on target, and yeah, okay, what are the ballistics? Blah, 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 blah. The bullet's only going so fast. How many foot-pounds of it? Well, you catch one in the grape or the chest, and even if it's only going 500 yeah. foot per second, it's still a 115-grain piece of something entering your body. Yeah, nobody's taking a ticket from the counter at that other gun store to stand in line to get one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. And where's the line start? There isn't one. Uh, you know, so that kind of mentality around make sure you're using whatever tool to its complete effectiveness. Um, but that is something where it's like, I'm not sure what my zero is. And I thought, you know, I, I know that mine is a 50 meter zero on that particular gun, but I have a little dope book with the gun, what it's zeroed with, you know, this, that, and the other, and what the distance was and that kind of stuff. And, and having that kind of information in a training environment is not a bad idea. Kind of a side note to what we're talking about, but it is that whole, you know, keep some data, keep some, keep some metrics under, be able to go back to them and reference it. And so writing it down, um, I know some guys that are gym rats and they wouldn't leave the gym without writing down what their workout was for that day for posterity's sake, maybe, but more than likely to look back in three or four months when they go revisit something they haven't done in a while, 
because they change training modalities on a regular basis to keep everything awake um, to go back and do that. So, you know, yeah. write it down maybe. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that can help out with called this like really close range stuff. Yeah. With long guns, um, if you're running an EOTech style reticle, so either EOTech, mm -hmm. um, one of the Holosuns, or the Trigicon, the MRO HD. Yeah. Uh, with that 65 MOA ring or 63 MOA ring, mm -hmm. um, the bottom right at six o'clock is generally point of aim, point of impact at seven yards. Yes, yeah, and by design to some <clears> extent, <throat> uh, you know the the reticle is I think for rifles was intended as a ranging reticle. It's 65 MOA is five foot five inches, which is kind of a mark, you know, mark zero mod one humanoid at a hundred yards. So if you kind of bracket somebody, but it also works great as an up close fast reference. Use the bottom tick. If you're inside a structure, use the bottom tick to aim with and go on, unless that structure is the Taj Mahal or Edinburgh Castle yeah. or something like that. So, um, yeah, and, it, and it, it's fast. Why not? It's yeah. there for you. Um, and so in this case, that was that was definitely something that was, like I said, a teachable moment in that regard. Uh, we went from just running a quick half a mag-ish of singles with up drills to running doubles with up drills, just kind of seeing where you're, if you're hammering that trigger, getting one sight picture, or maybe one and a half sight pictures um, and getting the second round on target quickly and doing some of that stuff just to make sure that nobody was really running the gun wild and out of control. Uh, with PCCs, not a lot of recoil to push you off on that, um, nor with an AR, honestly, in most cases. Yeah. If you're running a 14 half inch or 16 inch gun or a suppressed gun, there's enough mass there that it doesn't really matter at 15 yards. Yeah, I would honestly say a lot of times that like the Scorpion tends to move around more. Yeah even than an AR just because of the mass of the bolt moving True. back and forth. Yes. And um, I say the same thing with an APC, like the yeah. BNT APCs. Um, I, the APC does have a brilliant recoil buffer in it that makes it sit probably more still than anything else that's blowback um, and not gas operated. The MPX is a gas operated gun and it's pretty smooth too. Those are where, that's kind of what you're paying for with either of those systems over a Scorpion or something that's straight blowback or roller lock. Um, MP5s are sexy, but it's antiquated technology from that perspective. Uh, and, the, and the Scorpion's more than controllable, more than accurate yeah. enough for what it is. And so there's that price point conversation. Uh, I can get two Scorpions for what I pay for either one of the other guns. And the MPX is the, the history there of reliability is, is spotty. Um, it's kind of all over the place if you're not running a government-issued G model. Uh, some guys have had good luck, but not very many. Um, the APCs, the BNT guns, I would say are brilliant, but whoo! They're spendy. Yep. Yep. Um, so running doubles, had a couple guys got a little wild, you know, because they're not used to running that gun, and even at 15 yards. And when I say wild, I mean some, I, I popped a couple rounds high of the A zone by an inch or two, uh, just because I was trying to run the trigger fast and didn't really let things settle back down. Um, one of the other things I'm chasing down, the time we spent on the rifle last year was a lot of stuff from Matt Pranka at X-Ray Alpha and kind of how you get under the gun with your offhand and how you're trying to control the gun in a vertical fashion or be consistent about where the gun's returning to and whatever that looks like. Um, and with my shoulder being jacked up, um, I, I find that I just can't get under the gun the way I'd like to. So that is something I've done in dry fire a little bit here and there. And um, so that, that I, the little bit of dry fire spent, and when I say dry fire, I'm talking like playing around once a month, maybe twice a month for like just five, 10 minutes, getting the gun in the mount position firmly against the shoulder, and then just tapping the trigger and going on. 
um, which is ironic that I would spend any time doing that considering I don't spend nearly enough time dry firing with the handgun that I carry 80% of the time. But it actually, I think it made a little bit of a difference because I was used yeah. to seeing what I was seeing. Um, so yeah, so that's interesting too, you know, getting some practice in. The double stuff, I think with the long gun, if you're struggling at 40 yards or at 15 yards to get doubles, then you probably need to take some time with that gun. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it can be dry fire. It doesn't have to be live rounds, yeah. but you should, if you're at 15, 15 yards, 20 yards, and you're struggling to shoot doubles on a good cadence, not stupid fast, um, then you probably need to spend some time with that particular piece of equipment and get to know it a little better. Yeah. I would even, I would say like with the long gun at 15 yards, you should be running sub 20 splits yep. um, with both rounds in that upper a box kind of on demand consistently like consistently super consistently yeah like that's not really that hard to do nope shouldn't it, be that hard to do exactly exactly and, and again <clears throat> most of us i think most of us were where we wanted to be at 15 yards i do think that when you get into the long gun you should probably step that out you know get 15 yards get 15 20 yards hammered out yep. get to where you're consistent with that but then start pushing that distance back but maintaining the time in the split yeah right and then when you find out where you where your capabilities expire at distance rather than at time yeah and then understand that and then understand that maybe at 30 yards or 40 yards or 50 yards you need to go to singles with a reconfirmation of sight picture every time whatever that's cool no big deal um but anyway we did that i, I don't even know that was a warm-up so much as we haven't touched these in a while let's do this um and then immediately after that we kind of decided that we we had um, a couple of guys that shoot with us that haven't done a lot of like, when I say CQP-ish, think home defense, don't think eight-man team entering a room kind of mentality because that's not who we are. Um, nobody in this group of folks is a door kicker, hasn't been and isn't, you know, isn't now, hasn't been in the past. So what we were looking at was more of a home defense mentality. Um, and yes, I understand that, you know, in the real world, if somebody kicks in your front door and you're in bed, you wake up to that. And you can hunker down in a room and, and just fortify and defend that particular space. That's a great world. Um, but a number of us have, you know, have a wife, have kids, have things going on where if there's violence coming our way and we don't know where every member of the tribe is at a given moment, we're unfortunately probably going to have to go do some work. Um, I think probably the number one lesson learned this whole night is that uh, CQB sucks. Yeah. Clearing rooms, going going through doorways and into spaces, um, you don't have a way in general to confirm what's in that space without a drone or camera systems or thermals or something like that that can see through walls. If you don't own your own FLIR system or something like that, it's it, and even then, it doesn't identify if what's on the other side of that wall is a threat. It just tells you there's something alive there. Um, it's, uh, what we learned is that it's really hard, and, and basically you want to do... Uh, the second lesson is probably do as much work from outside the room as you can do. Yeah. Yeah. The third lesson would be, if you can, if you have the luxury, slow down. Take a deep breath. Work through everything. Make sure you're seeing what you need to see. And then from there, move with a purpose, but maybe not necessarily with aggression. Because when everybody tried to move aggressively, we got weird things like overpenetration, slipping, stopping thinking etc so i'm not saying you shouldn't shoot with aggression yeah. or drive the gun with aggression you should but you should move with a purpose i don't know talk let's talk about I that would, i would say you still want to act with aggression you just need to be patient while doing it yeah and i think when people got impatient because they felt like they fell behind when we didn't run timers yeah um but i think 
like within our group, it's really easy to feel like there's a timer always running. Sure. Uh, whether there is one or not. And yeah. when people felt like they were behind on the timer, then their mentality was just trying to, to gain back that time. Yeah. Or to try to go faster, even when there wasn't really a reason to go faster. Yeah. Or they're going faster, only save them a couple tenths. Yeah. Um, but significantly degraded their tactical position. Yes, yeah, we found a number of times when when you didn't have the patience to do as much work as possible from outside the threshold, then when you crossed the threshold in a hurry, you left yourself exposed. Yeah, um, off balance. Exposed, off balance, a number of things like that. Um, but you know, my big concern is that a number of times that, and I do like putting impatience into the conversation or a lack of patience into the conversation because I think that probably articulates as clearly what was going on because you just you leave yourself wide open or or more open than you want to be to threats at different angles and things of that nature um and we saw that on a couple of different fronts we saw it from not necessarily missing a target that needed shot but exposing yourself to a target before it was time or on an axis where you couldn't deal with it as well so that would be the off balance part of it where you're you know if you're in a hurry and you decide not to work all the way around the door and kind of that 45 90 45 step 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 kind of mentality and light everything up um you found yourself doing a button hook going in quickly and the time it takes you to pivot the gun around when you aggressively go through the doorway was honestly would have been more well spent to have gone to the far side of the doorway and then gone in a more linear fashion toward the unknown corner that you hadn't cleared from outside yeah um, which, so which if you did the technique properly you're set up for yep you just exactly. have to take the extra half a second to do the initial technique properly exactly exactly um you know it, it the i think the the part that i enjoy most about doing this kind of stuff um there are the questions that come up because we get in conversations about you know, uh, wow, why would I do this? Okay, well, you know, you can war game any reason you want, but like for me, I've got four kids and a wife. Um, something goes bump in the middle of the night hard enough that alerts me, like the dog's barking and something goes bump and I need to grab a gun and go do whatever. I don't necessarily know where everyone's at. Um, so when you start, there's the conversations that come up around why would we do this, why would we do that, and start breaking down, you find that you end up chasing the same principles over and over and over again and, and articulating those principles and for the guys who haven't done it or the guys who don't do it often enough as a practice thing myself included you go back to thinking about this and thinking about it's just a reminder of how bad it sucks i think i mentioned that very early on it sucks you're yeah. you're going into the unknown um there's some things you're doing that you just don't want to do but you don't necessarily have a choice and then it also gets into a conversation where if you're new at this i get where the impatience comes from because you're envisioning needing to go to somebody that's important to you that needs help, but at the same time, from a tactical standpoint, not necessarily wanting to leave unknowns behind you, or worse, a threat behind you at your back because you didn't take two seconds to look into a room. And if you look into that room, you can do it quickly, you can do it with alacrity and make your world a whole lot safer space behind you before you get yeah. wherever you're going. That's where the impatience, I think, kind of comes in a little bit. It's like, I got work to do, but you got work to do before you get to the other work, maybe. I don't know. I, and that, that's a tough one to quantify. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of this, you know, when we look at look at things from a home defense standpoint, um, we should kind of have an idea based on sound of what's going on. Yeah. Um, maybe. Or somebody could be, you know, if the bad guy is smart, maybe he's hunkered down, he's not making a lot of noise. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's not. This is definitely not something you want to have to do for the first time when it's game time. Yes. Um, so do take, you know, dry fire, <laughs> dry fire clearing your room. Yeah. Clearing your house. Yes. Um, clear your house with Nerf guns, like yeah. whatever you got to do. Yeah. But do kind of have a picture of what it would take to, you know, to move through your your own structure. Yeah. Um, in a tactical manner. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, with this, um, I, I, I can't stress enough, like almost everything else we talk about, going and getting good foundational training. Um, you know, there are some venues out, some organizations out there that offer a lot of this stuff in a team environment because it's geared toward law enforcement. You know, and you think of like the diamond back in the old school um, active shooter days with schools. And then they, you know, that dropped off to three guys and it dropped off to two guys and then it dropped off to maybe you're it you got to do whatever you got to do kind of mentality. So there's a lot more training around this kind of stuff now that is geared toward the individual or the two-person team. Two-person could be husband, wife, um, could be, you know, you and another adult that lives in the house, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, but go seek competent professional training on these topics so that you can learn the principles of this stuff at a foundational level because then you can apply it to wherever you find yourself. Um, and, and, and maybe articulate it to somebody else that lives in your home that you want them to understand what you're going to be doing if you need to do it, whether they help you or not. Um, and so a lot of that lends itself to where are you at in the room, what posture are you exhibiting, etc. Do you look like a threat or not kind of thing. But go get good training. And then the second thing with this is if you do get to a place where you want to go do this, you know, like any other time, double, triple, quadruple check the guns empty. Because once you start clearing your house, when you dry fire, I'd like to think that we all dry fire with the idea of, if I do screw up, where's the round going? Am I doing this in a manner where I'm pointing the gun in a safe direction? Do I have the targets put up on a basement wall? So in case there's an oopsie, um, maybe I'm punching around into the ground at three or four feet below ground level. Yeah. Now you start clearing your house and you have an oopsie, and now you're doing it with a rifle, or you're doing it with a PCC with a bullet that is going a lot faster and is likely gonna act, it's gonna penetrate like crazy. So there's a mentality around, you know, double, triple check the gun safe, um, rope it, flag it, whatever you got to do. I don't care. Whatever you need to do to make sure that you're not going to have an oopsie, because if you're on the second floor of your house, not the basement, and something happens sideways, it's probably going into the neighbor's house. It's for sure leaving yours. So, you know, be, be cautious about this. Um, and maybe draw the curtains so you don't freak your neighbors out. Yeah. If your neighbors are peeking in your windows, maybe they have their own problems. It may be good for them to see you doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, but you know, bear those things in mind. Safety, go, go get good training. Be safe about it. But then do it. You know, go. We we joke about you know going down in your basement and clearing it of Canadians. You know, you never know who's sneaking in on you from up north, kind of thing. Um, take the time to do it because seeing your home. When I walk into one of my kids' rooms, I walk up, um, and and you know, you walk into the room. You don't stand outside the room and look around inside and see what it looks like. I and mean, that's what you're going to be doing. And so what does it look like from outside? What kind of things do you need to see? Your brain will make that imprint, that kind of map, and keep it. And when something falls outside of that in a diminished light or lower light environment than you want, when something doesn't belong, that's your cue to further investigate whatever that is. Not necessarily put holes in it, but do that. So, you know, clearing your house, I'm not saying you got to go do it once a week or something like that, but walking through your home, even without a gun, and just looking at it from that mentality with your finger gun, is never really a bad idea to get that layout and that kind of mentality. Um, you know, I have kids that are teenagers and they like to rearrange stuff. They're like, oh, I want to do my room this way. 
this week and you you know you walk in and in you know in the middle of the night to check on somebody or say goodnight and trip over something that wasn't there the previous day so you know just being aware of your surroundings in that fashion um and if you you know if your kids are ornery then it gives you a reason to go in their room you know hey safety i gotta clear the room you know and i'm, I'm not looking for weed you know that's not, i'm not looking for weed you know just joking Oh, the other thing doing this will teach you is where you can stand yes. and only be exposed to one doorway or like a single slice of the pie at any given time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really easy, you know, with hallways and multiple doors yeah. to stand in the wrong place and all of a sudden be exposed to three doors at the same time. Yes. Which is a very bad place to be. Yes. Um, yeah, so be aware of those kind of things too while you're doing this. Which exercise. is part of the reason you practice this stuff. And so you go down a hallway, you're not walking past the doorway, take that three or four seconds to do that quick clear, that quick scan of that room before you go to the next one. I can picture two or three, four places in my house that just absolutely suck to work through um, on, on all floors. And so where you're just super exposed, never mind stairways and stuff like that, which really suck. Open stairwells are horrible. Um, but that kind of mentality, and it, again, it's just kind of one of those things where you have that mental map, you've worked your way through it, and hopefully you've gone and sought the training to understand the principles to apply them properly and have it suck as the least amount it can suck because it sucks period yeah so yeah um like i said this this was a good night um I, i'm trying to think of what else what else do we want to talk about on that specifically because i mean i, I don't want to get into tactics techniques and procedures um you know that kind of stuff again go seek training kind of thing yeah. there's this all open source information um, be careful Googling it because there are some freaking clowns out there that teach this shit or they're teaching stuff that's severely antiquated or they're teaching stuff that is for a different environment, a team environment or something like that. That's a whole different thing than what we're likely to be using it for as civilians is a misapplication of TTPs. Yeah. Um, so be aware of that. If someone, you know, it, you know, be aware that as you're looking around for this stuff, but go seek that training, um, and, and then practice it. And then if you are fortunate enough where you can maybe go take a class where you can do it live fire as well at some point, um, it's really, it's really, it's a good set of skills to be at least familiar with, if not an expert in. Yeah. So then the, the shooting part of this, I think is the other, yes. the other big, the big thing, um, the shooting has got to be surgical and it's got to be really fast. Yep. And I do think that's part of that impatience conversation. Um, the targets that we were shooting, you know, doing the up drills and doing the doubles, pretty much upper A zone with the exception of, you know, doing some adjustments to get to yep. the upper A zone in a mag. Um, but then as soon as we started putting movement into it, um, shooting got sloppy and it's the worst time in the world for shooting to get sloppy. You're in your own home potentially and you need to put rounds in something and you're doing it to protect somebody else theoretically who's in your home. Well, where are those other rounds going? So that's where you know things turn into a, a significant issue around that, and that's where the patience. Again, it's hard to be patient because you're envisioning whatever scenario. Find the patience and do it right because you're probably not going to do it any better when it's real, than when there's next to no stress on the range. Yeah. So you know, do it do it right. Get the reps in. Do the reps over and over again. Um, the other thing I see too is we didn't specify a number of rounds on target, um, and so you know I. I the conversation around that like, oh, double tap and it's done kind of mentality. Um, I think when you get into this environment, randomly somehow having someone either call out for you or having somebody mark a target for you that maybe, you know, have 
every third, fourth, fifth target require a non-standard response. Um, and, and, I, and I hate even using the idea of non-standard response because it indicates that two shots is a standard response, and it shouldn't be. It should be a, a shoot until the target's down kind of mentality. Yeah. So I'd almost rather see somebody come through a doorway and punch one perfect round into a target and then move to the next target in that artificial environment than just practice double, 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 and move to the next target without thinking. And again, that's a training conversation that's kind of getting a little further in the weeds than we need to. Um, but you know, maybe program that into it if you can, or if you're doing it with airsoft, or you're doing a dry fire. You know, set. You know, a lot of the guns you're, you're tapping the trigger on a lot of these guns anyway, and you're simulating multiple rounds when you dry fire. Maybe you add that to it. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Anything else to throw at that? Uh, yeah, lights. Uh, so Ooh. now we're now we got an Ooh. added call complexity on the weapon system. Yep. Um, where the support hand needs to not only control the gun, but it needs to manipulate the light mm-hmm. um, based on whatever switches or buttons or yeah. things. Um, yeah, that adds a lot of... Yeah. Can add a lot of additional mental stress if you're not used to however you have the light set up on your gun. Sure, sure, sure. Or if you have different guns set up different ways. Uh, adding gloves definitely changes that too. Yeah. Uh, we had the... Fortune or misfortune, misfortune of about uh, twenty degree ambient temperature and a little bit of wind and a little yeah a little wind yeah. Um, so gloves were definitely kind of a requirement yeah uh, a lot of pressure pads may work really really well with just bare fingers uh, but you add gloves and now switches don't exactly want to actuate the way you think they will sure uh, just weird things happen uh, yeah. You know, if you're going to do this, try to try to be able to do do the dry fire thing. You know, through your house, try to be able to do it. You know, in a, more of a nighttime environment from time to time too. Yeah, and <coughs> actually practice running. You know, your weapon mounted lights. Yeah, um, switchology on lights is critical. Um, I've been a big fan of Surefire X300 lights for a long time because the the um, momentary switching is just a tap on the rear of the light. For a couple of reasons. Number one, it lets me easily momentary switch the light and do my thing. Um, but then again, if I'm on the light and something happens and I want it off right now, or let's say I trip, or maybe I get shot, heaven forbid, something like that, the default reaction is for the light to turn off when I let go of it versus flipping it on. Now I get hit and maybe I can't get to the light to turn it off and it's providing the bad guy a beacon and situational awareness that I don't want him to have. So switchology on your lights. Tape switches on um, different manufacturers, different tape switches, different systems. Some are hard to hit with gloves. Um, and then some of them are too easy to hit depending on where they're at. Yeah. Um, we've got, you know, we have some local uh, organizations that that forbid the use of momentary tape switches um, that are large and exposed like that on tactical weapons because of white light NDs. And for them, it's more important to not be seen until it's time to be seen to train around that. So whatever your operating modality is and your training, you know, how you've trained and what you know, just make sure you're squared away with that system. Um, additionally, there are some crazy ass lights out there, brightness wise. If you have not looked at lights in say three to five years, um, there are some tools out there that dramatically change the game. Um, do some research. If you're running an old Surefire incandescent, we need to talk. Um, if you're running a five-year-old or six or seven-year-old Surefire LED, we probably need to talk. And that Surefire, that's you know what was perceived yeah. as the tippy top of the game for a long time, 
um, in the last five years, companies like Modlite, companies like Cloud Defensive um, have come out and done crazy things. And then Surefire caught up. And so there are some crazy tools out there, but again, learning how to use them doesn't do any good if you can't make it work right, or you turn it on at the wrong time, or can't get it turned off when you need it turned off. Um, again, the TTPs around lights, I'll leave that up to whoever you choose to train with to work with that. There's a lot of craziness out there about turning lights on, turning lights off, and moving, and this, that, and the other, and wiggle waggle, and try to distract the bad guy with the light and stuff like that. Um, and when you were running a 60 lumen surefire light and incandescent, that might have been something that was advantageous. I think at this stage of the game, pouring enough light into somebody's retina um, via their pupil, you know, that they really have a hard time reacting to it is probably a better way to go. Um, and and focusing on some of the shenanigans when you really should be fo fo what are now shenanigans, not necessarily were 10 years ago. Focusing on some of that stuff now about how you move, moving with alacrity, not being in the same place, and putting as much light where you need to put it, when you need to put it there. Um, and some stuff came up about, you know, once the light comes on, do you leave it on? Yes and no. Once I'm maybe working a doorway or something like that, if I've got a pause for some reason, not in the doorway, maybe I turn it back off for a second if there's a reason to pause. But otherwise, I'd like to keep moving in most of what we're doing as civilians. I'm going to something. It's It's... It's traversing structure, getting somewhere else. I don't want to yeah. spend all day pie in a doorway. And so a little bit of light move, a little bit of light move, a little bit of light move. No, I'm going to go to the doorway. As soon as I know whether I'm looking at corner fed, center fed, I'm going to pour the light where I need to pour it, move through it quickly, punch in, get out and go to the next place and move on. So, you know, be aware of that with your light system and make sure you understand how to use it appropriately without making yourself a beacon, understanding that you're making yourself a beacon. Yep. It's kind of unavoidable. So the more light you have, the better in that case. Yeah. Yeah, I think we covered most yeah. of those things. Absolutely. Um, get out and train with your gear. Um, me, personally, I had two guns shit the bed on me. Um, one completely self, well, both are completely self-induced, more than likely. I'll know the answer to that question later today. Um, I, I, I'm going to throw a brand under the bus on a personal level that we sell and then I'm gonna pull it back off under the bus, dust it off and say, hey, thanks, you've been really good to me for 12,000 rounds. I took, I had a law folder on a gun and it's been flawless on two different guns for north of 12,000, maybe 15,000 rounds. I moved it onto a rifle that I SBR'd and, haven't, and hadn't shot it. So this was the test bed to go shoot it. And I thought, well, I'll grab it. And it was a backup gun that night anyway. Yeah. Um, and when I got pushed into using the backup gun, um, I think that was the issue because I switched out two different bolts and I was getting stovepipes which speak to ex ejection issues, not extraction issues, and maybe bolt speed being weird. Too fast, too slow, I don't know. When I took it apart, it has loosened up a bunch. And I don't know if it's from me reinstalling it or just mm. use or whatever. Um, law folders, with the exception of you breaking one, and you break everything, Brian. Um, you know, with the exception of Brian breaking one, law folders have been pretty... Pretty, pretty flawless. Yeah. They've been pretty flawless, and I know a lot of guys with a lot of rounds to them. So, as I throw a law under the bus, this is me pulling them out and dusting them back off. Uh, I'm probably going to buy a new one and reinstall it because I do like the storage aspect of running the law. Um, so, you know, consider that. Uh, but anyway, so I had that gun crap, and then I have my Scorpion, which is probably obscenely filthy dirty um, because I really haven't jacked around with taking it apart and cleaning it. Um, and I kind of treat everything like a Glock. 
and probably shouldn't. Um, you know, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm teachable. But again, I don't consider either one of these weapons at current my primary tool. If there was a fight that was going to happen, I have a 14 and a half inch AR that I'm going to probably grab before anything else um, and go from there. And as much as I love the Scorpion, I don't spend the time on it to say, hey, this is a primary, which is something I'd like to rectify at some point. And with ammo prices being what they are, that's the case. So, um, you know, if the world melted down and I needed one or the other of these guns, I would be really unhappy with myself. There would be some significant self-loathing going on. Because I like to train a lot and practice a lot, I consider that my test bed to make sure shit works, and it didn't. So, take that as a lesson. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not getting into brand a gun, that kind of stuff, because I really don't think it was the gun. And the best guns in the world can show up with brand new parts and still not work right. Yep. Even, even the top-notch companies screw one up occasionally. We've all seen it. So I'm not getting into brands there, and I'm not really picking on law other to say that, wow, this thing went 12, 15,000 rounds, and on a 40-40 device, I'm kind of okay with that. If it has a sh if it has a service life, I'm kind of okay with that because that's just about a barrel in a lot of cases. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, again, train with your stuff so that you know that it works. Um, and when you find out it doesn't work, then figure out why and make it better. So, mea culpa, but live and learn, baby. Live and learn. Yeah, to add to that, with the with Chris's AR, it was a short short barrel gun mm -hmm. uh, on a on an actual SBR uh, with a suppressor and a fifty five ammo, which is Torque generally like a combination we don't shoot very often at twenty degrees ambient temperature. Absolutely, absolutely. So it was unknown. So um, it, it, it it was it was kind of an unknown at this point. Um, and, and not a big deal, you know, like I said, I mean, it was, you know, we were running cardboard targets up close, so I was running the green tip just to kind of burn it up, because most of the time, um, I don't like using green tip, because there might be steel nearby, and I don't want to have that confusion, but this is a good opportunity to use it safely, and just the combination was new, and so anyway, the, the, it, the law has been pulled off that gun, we'll go test drive it and see where it's at, and probably put that little SBR back in the rotation without a whole lot of fretting, um, and go from there. The Scorpion, I just need to not be a dipshit and maybe clean it occasionally. Yeah, you know, but yeah. hey, now I know. And I have a round count log on that book. So minus the rounds that I shot that training event, um, I know how many rounds I have through it and when the last time I was, I cleaned it because it's a relatively new system to me. Even though I've had it for years, I don't shoot it much. So I want to go back and look at that as well and see how many rounds are through it. But I'm guessing it's north of 2,000. Yeah, there's with probably a, with not, the can. A, not a cleaning entry in the logbook. Yeah, no, I'm almost certain of that. I Because I started to take it apart to clean it once, and I'm like, wow, this is way more complicated than my little mouse brain can handle. I guess we'll just keep going. <laughs> Live and learn. Uh, on that note, as we come across interesting things, we do try to get it posted up to our social media. Um, you can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, we're Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we're Cap City Outfitters 2. On our website, capcityoffers.com, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. Uh, also on the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays. Or send us an email to info at capcityoffers.com. We will add you to the newsletter list. And then we're here in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. We are in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. We're here 10 to 5, Tuesday through Friday, and 10 to 3 on Saturdays, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.